Warning, content not suitable for children. Listener discretion advised, yo. Screaming Chewy Show, your source of entertainment and overall fuckery. And it starts now. everyone, welcome back to another exciting episode of Screaming Chewy Show. I'd like to welcome a very special guest, actor Larry Hankin. Okay, wait a minute, I'm going to hang up this uh, phone. Mm-hmm. I'm going to shut off my phone. Okay. Okay, there you go. Hey, how you doing? Okay, I just got a phone call just in the middle of my introduction, my great introduction. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the hell with the phone, man. I'm with Chewy. Okay. <laughs> hey, just just want to say, it. big fan, man. I mean, I, I pretty much grew up watching you in shows and movies. I mean, yeah, man. I mean, uh, I, I meet a lot of you guys and girls too, uh, and uh, yeah, they're all over the place. Um, and and now their parents are watching the stuff that the, their kids watch, so it's really strange, you know. Have these, uh, you know, parents coming up to me. Oh, I love you. I love. Uh, uh, you on Friends? So what are you doing watching Friends? Oh, my daughter watches it. We watch it together. Whoa! I'm that old. Holy cow! <laughs> Amazing. I remember cool. you on Seinfeld, right? When you were uh, uh, like, like uh, trying out uh, for Kramer. Stole the raisins, right? Isn't that yeah? Stole the raisins on Seinfeld, right? Uh, <laughs> Tom Pepper, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, all those shows. I mean, I guess they're all in reruns now. So I get like I get these small little uh what do you call it you know little checks every once in a while uh but it's cool it's all cool also they still pay you for the reruns oh yeah yeah i mean not anywhere near what you know what you get as a salary but but it's fine you get like you know a couple of bucks here and a couple of bucks there and a couple i at one time i was getting like a check for two cents from disney (laughs) that's crazy (laughs) Yeah, no. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't cash them. So I get, you know, um, um, it was some rerun of some Disney thing I did in back in the '60s. I God even knows what that was, but um, I would get a little, a little uh, check from Walt Disney, and always had a little Mickey Mouse, you know, with the, you know, the the, the sum amount, little little <laughs> Mickey Mouse going like this. The sum is two cents, and uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't cash them. And I would save them up. I had a, a lot of them. But I, the reason that I was not cashing them was because it screws up their bookkeeping. You know, two <laughs> cents here and two cents there and two cents. And it just doesn't add up. They don't have the, because I never cashed them. So they don't know. 
So I was just doing it. Just, just fuck with them. Like, you know, two cents at a time. But it adds up, man, the corporations, you know. I love it, man. Sticking it to them. Just, you know, any way that I can just, you know, screw with them a little. Dog two cents to, at a time. Try to add it up. What the fuck's going on? Yeah, right. You know, and then finally they stopped issuing two cent checks. They just stopped it. I guess there was a lot of people doing that. Couldn't just been only me, but they, they stopped it. So they don't issue them anymore. I, I, I missed them. I missed those little Mickey Mouse things presenting me with two cents. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like it's a huge number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, well, anyway. And um, I, I, I'm also a huge fan of Breaking Bad, man. And um, oh yeah, yeah. Well, I, me too. I mean, you see, th that's the thing. Uh, well, I'm, I I don't know, but Breaking Bad, I'm a big fan of. I'm also a big fan of Seinfeld. Uh, mm -hmm. Kind of of Friends. I mean, I just like the, you know, the characters like like my, my character, the people who would come into the apartment more than I like. The friends, but these little uh, girls—they're about like thirteen to sixteen—are are really into Friends a lot. I don't understand it. They, how would a thirteen-year-old girl understand the relationships of the, these, uh, you know, people living in the apartment? Uh, but they're really big fans. You know, I'm on Cameo. You know, where you I can send birthday, graduation things, and. Um, 99.9999% of the requests are from 13, 14, 15 year old girls. Uh, oh, and their moms or their boyfriends. Hey, my girlfriend is having a birthday. Would you send her? No guy ever wanted me to say happy <laughs> birthday to them, but all their girlfriends. Hey, would you send my girlfriend? A <laughs> amazing fans are really cool i don't know i mean they're totally different than than normal people and i think fans when they get home and they're not interacting with me i think they're just normal people but mm -hmm. when they see their the people who they're fans of they just lose it I, I, or they become different people i don't know if they lose it they just become different people it's really uh it's amazing I guess I do it too, you know, to my, the people who I look up to. Unfortunately, they're all historic now. <laughs> so I can't really get too excited, you know, about Picasso or, you know, <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. yeah oh like man. Picasso. Old school. But, I, like I don't you. send them letters or anything like that. Or ask Picasso to <laughs> wish me a happy birthday. I don't, <laughs> I don't do that, but, but okay. Cool, you know, or 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 Brian Cranston or Marlon Brando or you know or, or, or you know all the big you know, but uh, so I'm very interested in, in in fans. I guess I wonder if there's any books on on the psychology of fans. What oh. what's the because some of them really go nuts, and other people are just you know hey I, I really enjoy your work okay, great and stuff like that. I see. Here's the thing, uh, Burt Lancaster, you know Burt Lancaster, I mean, you know, or, you know. okay, he's, yeah, I was a big fan of his when I was a kid. You know, I used to watch all Burt Lancaster's movies. When I was older, I was, when I was about 30, around 30 years old, I was walking in New York City, 
And out of this hotel comes Burt Lancaster. He was about, I don't know, 50, 60 feet away from me. He comes out of this with a, with a, with a woman. He was, and they were going away from me. So their backs were uh, towards me. But I, I recognized him as he was coming out. So I just said to my friend, I mean, without even thinking, I just went into fan mode. It just it <laughs> overtakes you. You have no control. And I go, just a second, man. And I started running towards him. <laughs> and he heard me running towards him. And he turned around with such fear on his face. He was about 75 at the time. But he turned around with such fear, like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I just stopped, you know, running full stride. Whoa. And I said, oh. I'm... And he, he stared at me and he said, what the hell are you doing running at somebody like that? You know, I, I scared the hell out of him. He thought he was going to be shot or something. <laughs> you so weren't I, thinking about it. Oh, you just ran so over. So that cured me of, I mean, because he was, you know, kind of a hero of mine. I mean, as an actor, you know, I, I that kind of cured me of that fan thing. I, I mean, I, I to, to, to scare a hero of mine, it was just so rude. So that I just, so, and that's why I, you know, do you know what, you know, calm down. It's just okay. But uh, since I did it, I mean, I know what, what that is, you know, it just, you have no control. It's really, just, really crazy. This impulse, right? Just, it's a, yeah, it's, a, it's an impulse thing. And, but the look, the look on his face cured me. It really did. That's pretty funny. I don't want to do that to anybody. You know? And also, you know, another thing, I was walking in New York. I used to live in New York. Um, you know, in my 19, when I was 19 and 20 and stuff. Uh, and I, I used to walk at night. I used to write with my friends, you know, but late at night after, because uh, I'd be doing the stand-up, uh, you know, open mic nights and stuff like that. So I still like... So, and I like to walk in New York at night. Uh, well, back in the day, I don't, I don't know about now, uh, just for crime things. So he'd walk maybe 10, 20, 20 blocks at a time. It was not nothing, you know, uh, to just to go see a friend. So I was walking from 45th street to like 23rd street or something. I was walking and well, it's about, you know, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, maybe one o'clock in the morning. And I'm, I'm walking and I wanted to cut a, Across from Sixth Street to to uh, from Eighth Street to Sixth Street, so I was going cross town, and I come to this alley. And I go on. Oh, I look down this alley. Oh, okay, I'll just cut across here. And I'm walking down this dark alley in the you know middle of the night, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's New York. This is a dark alley. This is the kind of alley where you get mugged in if you're <laughs> not lucky. Why am I doing this? I kept on, but I kept on walking. I go, why am I doing this? You know, because I have, and then I go, I have a right. I'm an American. You know, I have a right to walk in a dark alley if I want. <laughs> I mean, you know, I have a right. I'm walking. And then the other end of the alley, I see a guy walk in the alley. And he's walking oh, on my side of the street. Yeah. Why didn't he cross over? He's walking on my side of the street and he's just walking and I'm walking. And I'm thinking, you know, this is the kind of thing where this is a mugging is about to happen to me. And I'm saying, I don't care. I have a right to walk. And, and, I'm, and I'm schizophrenic. I'm saying, that's crazy, Larry. <laughs> and I say, yeah, but I got a right. And I'm walking. 
And finally, you know, like logic and sense starts to, and as he's getting closer and closer, I say, okay, all right, look, I'm going to take 10 more steps. And if he doesn't cross over, I'm at least going to cross over. I mean, I don't care if he thinks I'm chicken. I don't want to get beat up. I mean, it's just that simple. <laughs> so I go, okay, one, two, three, four, five. And he crosses over to the other side of the street. And I said, oh, I'm the guy they're afraid of. <laughs> oh, I'm 6'4". Oh, screw you people. I'm... Yeah. So that was a very interesting uh, psychological re rejugging, rejuggling <laughs> of what the deal is walking into a dark alley. I mean, I never did it again because it's that's a gamble. But at least I understood because I never looked at me. Yeah, I am. I'm a six foot four guy. I mean, in a dark alley, you don't want to. Walk. That's true. Yeah. But I, I never realized that until he crossed <laughs> over. I mean, he was thinking the same exact same thing. Luckily, he was shorter than me. <laughs> That's <laughs> nuts. He, he's yeah. thinking, oh, shit, I'm going to get mugged. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're both two guys. We're, you know, we're saying the same thing and whoop. Yeah, all right. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of things like that that you know, really like twist your mind because you're thinking one thing and something else is happening, something else is totally going on. Uh, yeah, but anyway, well, that's that's my fan. My, my fans, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's pretty funny you ran up to him. He's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, but really, really, he thought he was going to be shy. I mean, the fear on his face w was memorable. You know, you, you just don't want to scare any human being that, that so, you know, a 75-year-old guy, you know, uh, so yeah, well, there's there's other things though. <laughs> other things besides that. I mean, in show business, there's other things besides that. There's the work and stuff. So, so what what got into what got you into show business into acting? Well, that, that's uh, that's a good question because frankly, I mean, just to talk to all your listeners out there, um, I never wanted to do anything. I I. I had no interest in anything. I, I, to this day, I am still stumped by that kind of thinking. That was me. That was, uh, I, I didn't, um, I had no, you know, dreams about being anything. Um, I was brought up, uh, I just, I lived in the now. I mean, I wasn't depressed or anything like that. No, I just lived in the now, which uh, according to, you know, Baba Ramdas and Timothy Leary is very cool. Um, I'm here to tell you it's not very cool at all because, you know, sooner or later, you got to pay the rent. That's the future. <laughs> That's you got to you got to want to do something to pay your rent. Uh, and even then I didn't I didn't care because when I got older and was working in, in uh, as a stand up comedian. And, you know, and making money and uh, not a lot of money, but enough to, you know, have fun. Um, I, um, I, I was evicted from my, my house for, for not a reason of not being able to pay the rent. I was evicted because I didn't tell the land. I was living on a houseboat, a little scowl. I mean, it wasn't what you think of when you think of a houseboat. 
this is in San Francisco when I was in the committee, when I was starting to get into show business, auditioning. Well, maybe I can do show business. I, I'm a funny guy. I was a funny guy in high school. You know, I won, you know, funniest guy in high school two years in a row. Nice. So I thought, yeah, nice, nice. But, I, but it, it didn't make me want to be a comedian or anything. I just, oh, that's, that's great. Thank you. You know, for, uh, so when I graduated, I went to Greenwich Village with, uh, when I graduated college, I, I went as industrial design because it was art and I make paintings like see that painting back there. That's oh yeah. Painting, that painting. Oh damn. Yeah. So I got a whole, if you go to uh, my uh, website, the real Larry uh, you will see uh, a 44 of, of paintings like that. That's another painting. But you can't see it because of light there, but, uh, but I have them, there's 44. There are all kinds of dogs and cats and birds and women and men and pastoral and it's just a bunch of paintings. Uh, so I'm having them put on that, like, like that. They're all being put, like your t-shirt. I'm having them all put on t-shirts. Oh, that's So that's going to awesome. be on a t-shirt. You know, you know what that's, you know what the title of that is? Hood in the hood in the hood. <laughs> Cool. I like that. I like that title. Put it on hood a hoodie. Hood hood. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, a hood in a hood in the hood. Okay. So, uh, yeah, they'll be on t-shirts and stuff like that. I have one around. I should have brought it. I'll just show you up. Okay, anyway. Uh, so, uh, I uh, graduated high school with, uh, actually, Carl Gottlieb. Carl Gottlieb wrote Jaws. Everybody's seen Jaws. Oh, yeah. I, I, went to, I went to college with him. And he what? would just want to be a writer. That was all. We hung out. And then uh, I had studied industrial design. And I was, a, I was an A student. But I really didn't. I mean, I did it because my parents wanted me to go to college. But I, I didn't want to go to college. Uh, I didn't, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I had no choice, really. I mean, it's just, well, it's college. Or what do you want to do with your life? Nothing, you know, I, I, you know, I was just hanging. I would just, uh, well, uh, just to get into it. Um, I, I come from a very uneducated, I mean, they were all educated. They went to high school and, you know, public school. They were educated in that they could hold a job. But my parents were against education, basically. I mean, there's no books in the house. I read comic books, you know, and that was it. Uh, so there was no reason, and, and and they never, my father, I didn't like my father. I mean, we didn't get along at all. My mom was really nice, but she would stick up for my father. So that was a wash. So in other words, they, there was no input to make me want to do stuff. I, I couldn't see my father working. I, I, I My mom was just a, a housewife, you know. So there was no impetus. So I just wanted to do, I just hang, you know. So when I went to college, I went to college for my because my parents wanted me to, even though it was very expensive for them. They, they couldn't afford it. I had to get a scholarship, you know. But so I, I but I was an A student because I like to draw. Well, you can see, you know. That's what could so awesome. I, that's why I went, you know. But I graduated and then uh, my, my best friend was Carl Gottlieb and he was in the, the, the journalism school. And I was in the art school part of industrial design. So then when I graduated, I was supposed to go to uh, Detroit and design uh, cars, future cars. Wow. Which, yeah, which would have been a, a kind of a good gig. And right out of college in them days, 
my starting salary was $75,000 a year. Wow. Yeah, man. 1959, 60. Wow. Whoa. Are you kidding? And Carl said to me, he, because he, he wanted to be a writer. That's all he wanted to do. He wanted to write screenplays. That's all he wanted to do. He said, look, I'm, I'm graduating. We're both graduating. And he said, uh, uh, I'm going to Greenwich Village, you know, and I'm going to just look for a job writing on, one of the, on, on a paper, any kind of paper. They don't even want these neighborhood papers, you know, it only, you know, maybe 50,000 readers or 10,000. I'm going to Greenwich Village. Why don't you come with me? We'll be roommates. And I said, yeah, great. And so I just told uh, Detroit, nah. And I went and I starved, man, for a year in Greenwich Village. And I loved it. I loved it. Um, I was working in a bar, uh, cleaning the duck boards behind the bar, you know, uh, from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. Ouch. They locked me in. After the last call, I would get there about two o'clock, five minutes to two. Uh, and they would, everybody, they'd clear the place out. They would lock me in so I couldn't get out. <laughs> and I would clean, you know, I'd, I would clean the bar, I'd clean the, the duck boards. I would, I, if I see another peanut shell, I, I, <laughs> I don't want to see another peanut shell as long as I live. So I would clean the bar. And, and then the, the, the chef, it was like a bar and grill. And so the chef would come in and he would open the door and let me out. And the way I would feed myself, because I was, I was making, I don't know, the, I think the rent was, I don't know, maybe $175 a month. I mean, it was just ridiculous. And I was making half the rent. I, 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 yeah, I think I was working three, three nights a week or something. I have no idea how I got by. But uh, I, had, I had a key to the storeroom of the restaurant part of the bar and grill. So each night, uh, I would go in, I would wear a raincoat. Uh, you know the Marx Brothers? Mm -hmm. The Marx Brothers. Harpo Marx always wore a raincoat, and he always would steal stuff and put the thing, every time he opened his things, they, all the spoons would drop out and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I wore the raincoat, because of Harpo Marx, because I was going to the, uh, the cupboard there, uh, and I would steal cans of food uh, not too many cans. Cans were bad because they were they were bulky. They they bulged in your pockets, in my raincoat pocket. So I would uh, anything flat. I mean, every once in a while, I'd steal one can of beans or vegetables and stuff. But mainly anything flat, like bacon. A side of bacon is flat. You know, it's about Ooh. like that. You know, and then I would shove it be, uh, uh, in my belt in the back. You know. <laughs> And I would, so it was flat and I would walk out when the, when the chef came to open up the front door, it was just one door. He would open it up and I would stand right by the door. I would wait for him because I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to, I, I was full of food. <laughs> I didn't want him to catch Focused. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So I would say, I would stand by the door and as soon as the door opened, I would, oh, hi. Hi Jeff, how you doing? Yeah, okay, good night. Boom, and I would be out. I'd be gone. I, it just, but after I only worked there for, um, I'm embarrassed to say, for three weeks, because uh, I figured they're going to start seeing food missing, because I was <laughs> taking every night. That's what I was eating when I get home, and then Carl was also stealing me uh, 
he would go to review movies, even though he was in a small, you know, newspaper. He would be invited, all the small newspapers in New York would be invited along the big, you know, like New York Times and the Village Voice and stuff to review movies. In other words, all the newspapers were invited to the same movie to review oh. it. So he was being treated like the New York Times, you know. And what they did was for these big newspapers to get good reviews is they would serve you wine and, um, for, you know, the, the, the cold shrimp. The bowls of cold shrimp. Oh, the cocktail shrimp. Yeah, the cocktail shrimp. Yeah. So the, the, that and every every uh, movie he reviewed, that was the ritual, you know, red wine and cocktail uh, shrimp. So, Fancy. yeah. But what he would do, good old Carl, my 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 best friend, what he would do is because yeah, you got to wear a suit in those days. Everybody's wearing suits and stuff, except the hippies. And I was a hippie. <laughs> But Carl wasn't, so he wore a suit. He only had one suit. So he wore a suit to these things. So what he would do is, and they had, they had linen napkins in those days, not paper napkins, for, for these things. So what he would do right before he went uh, home, uh, or right before he went into the movies, frankly, he would take a linen napkin, he would take a handful of shrimp, and he would put it in the napkin, and he would put it in his pocket, and he would bring it home to dinner for me and that was my dinner so nice. i thought that was really great and then about two months into it he said i gotta stop doing this man i go oh man did you get caught and he goes no no my suit is smelling of fish <laughs> so i can't do that anymore <laughs> so that was the end of that meal uh but then i started to get booked to react he had only one suit. <laughs> Sorry, Carl. But yeah, I'm that's... starving, man. Yeah, so, well, you know, thank you, but okay. But I was doing uh, open mic nights, and uh, I was starting to get good. I was really bad. I have recordings of me. I was so unfunny, and it was embarrassing. But I wasn't embarrassed. I didn't know that, you know. I just came off the stage, and I would say, I can do it better. I can nice. do it Nice. Yeah, I can do it better. Yeah, I had no... I mean, that's really weird. I mean, thank God. Thank God. I guess. So I kept on going back and slowly but surely because, I, see, the other thing was I can get better. The only reason I was saying I could get better was I won funniest in high school two years in a row, my junior and senior year. And I couldn't make these people laugh. And I, I couldn't figure it out. Well, listen, being on stage with a microphone is not like hanging with your friends and just you know, bullshitting back and forth and you're giggling over, you know, you saw up the dress of some girl. You know, it's a, not, it's, they don't, they don't get that kind of humor, man. Right. You know? <laughs> what, what the hell is with these people? Uptowners, you know, so. Tove crowd, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So, um, but I started to learn and lo and behold, you know, I started to go, oh, I see, it's different. You, okay. But I didn't write. I didn't know how to write a joke. I mean, I mean, I knew how to write. But I knew, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the setup and the punchline, I, I, I couldn't, it didn't, because I was just talking. It wasn't jokes. It was just conversational laughter, you know, blah, blah, blah. So um, I, 
one of these days, uh, I just kept on uh, getting back. And then six months later, I was opening for Woody Allen. Damn. Oh, nice learning curve. Hey, okay. So I did, you know, I learned, I learned, but I'm very slow. I'm very slow. If you would try to teach me something right now, you would think I was an idiot. <laughs> yeah, by the questions, you know, well, what do you mean? Could you do, tell me that again? Now do that. Let me watch you. Let me see, you know, or whatever you were doing. And a lot of people get like, you know, come on, man. But when I get it, I, I'll probably do it better than you. I mean, that's just conversational. I don't know what I really would. But, but, but you, you get it down. I would get it down. I would get it down. So you wouldn't know that I started off with, I, he was like, couldn't learn. I have a learning disability. I mean, I've had it since I was a kid. The, the weird thing is that, uh, so anyway, we, uh, I don't know where I were. I was <laughs> going all around in this story. But anyway, um, I was opening for Woody Allen, and that's how I got into show business. And then from Woody Allen, and then I got his manager, and then uh, I, I, I started to get into Richard Pryor and Lenny Bruce and, and George Carlin territory there. Oh, my and God. I wasn't prepared for it. Now, there's those guys that have been doing it, so they saw the anger coming at them in small doses, and as they get more powerful, they got more powerful, but they were always managing it. They could always manage it because they were keeping up with it. And then, so they were out there doing this stuff, and then here comes Hankin doing the same stuff, and I wasn't even getting high yet. That was later. <laughs> oh, damn. So, that was later, but... But then, so it became an insult to me. I knew Lenny was getting high and, they, and the cops were killing him for it. Uh, and I knew, you know, those guys are, you know, doing smoking weed and stuff like that. I didn't, for, for some reason, I didn't need it or I didn't want to do it, uh, but I was always around it. I mean, it just never happened in front of me. Like nobody ever smoked a joint and said, here. For years, because they figured, nah, he doesn't do it. Forget it. <laughs> you know, it's a waste. Well, which I guess was true. Uh, so I was into their territory without being prepared for the blowback. So I was being pulled off the stage by police, by oh, phalanxes fuck. of police. 10, uh, 20 police at one point down in um, Washington, D, uh, Washington University in the St. Louis, Missouri. 20 cops pulled me off an arena show of the Love and Spoonful. Holy so, shit. And I was not prepared for that, man. <laughs> the Love and Spoonful said, no, keep talking, keep talking. They wanted to riot. They wanted, because the kids were rioting too. And I'm yelling back at them because I was you know, talking about sex and drugs and rock and roll. The good in stuff. The 60s. The good stuff. And uh, or, or as John Lewis, the famous John Lewis said, I'm, I was getting into good trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but... But the audience, this college audience that the Love and Spoonful were playing for, you know, <clears throat> big arena, they were booing me for talking what? about, yeah, for uh, talking about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And, uh, you know, I was cursing. I was saying, can I curse on this show? Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, some shows, podcasts, no, you can't do it. Uh -huh. Even today. Uh, mm -hmm. But... But I was, you know, I was talking, I was saying, you know, fuck and all those words. Or, you know, the George Carlin seven words. Oh, yeah. And I was talking about, you know, uh, penises and breasts. And I was talking about uh, drugs. And I was talking about, uh, 
just uh, just whatever you were, whatever Lenny and Richard was talking about, I was. So they started to take off, you know, in these arenas and these old auditoriums, you know, those wooden uh, armrests, you can knock them off. You can hit them from behind. They slide off. You got a piece of wood in your hand. The first two rows of this arena show of college students were throwing these. Get the fuck off the stage. Oh. They're pulling the armrests off and throwing them at me. Oh, my God. Boom. And I'm going, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I'm yelling back at them. I thought you were college kids. What <laughs> happened to sex, drugs, rock and roll? Get off the stage. Get off the stage. And then I see no girls were throwing in, just guys. Maybe they were too heavy. I don't know. But no girls were throwing in. <laughs> and then I see in the back, because they had the lights on now. Because now it's like kind of a rumbling riot. So they put the lights on. And there's loving spoonful and the, and, the, and the wings going, keep going, keep going. Because, you know, they wanted the riot. And uh, I'm going, no, no. And then I see in the way in the back, the guys in the back, two or three or four rows, are pulling their armrests off and passing them down to the guys <laughs> in the front because they no more armrests. So yeah. anyway, they had ammunition, man, coming down. Passing the ammo. Yeah, passing the ammo down. Caissons of the, the ammunition coming down. And then I see a phalanx of 10 cops on each side on the, on the wall aisles marching down. And I just stood there in awe. Go, holy cow, what's going on? And they march up onto the stage and they grab me by both arms. I wasn't doing anything. I mean, I was just dumbstruck. I was just standing there. What are you guys doing here? And they come in and they just very gently, they were just doing their jobs. I mean, I got to give these particular cops back and say, they weren't angry. They were, they were just doing their job. Somebody had called them saying, and there's a quote, there's a filthy mouthed comedian on the stage. That's a direct quote to the police. Get him off. It was the dean of the college called. So they came up and they just, you know, they're doing their job. Well, this guy, I, I was just an ordinary guy to them, dressed like a hippie. And they just, you know, just where are we going? He said, just off stage, just off stage. And they took me off stage and he left me off stage. And I said, and then the, the, nine, the 18 other cops split. You know, all right, we did a good job. Cool. We got him off this. We got this filthy mouth comedian off the stage. <laughs> now let's, let's leave him alone backstage because we, we did our job. So they leave. And then there's two cops just standing there, you know, just next to me. And I'm going, well, why, why are you guys here now? What's going on? And he says, we have to guard you until the loving spoonful start playing so you don't run out and start doing your act again. So I said, oh, okay. So we just stood there, the three of us, you know, I, I don't know if we had any conversation, but we, you know, just, there was just basically just three guys standing backstage. Two guys were in uniforms and one guy looked like a hippie, but that was all that was going on. Just and, uh, and then the, the, the band, you know, they got, they had to get set up real fast because they, uh, I did a 20 minute to a half hour act and they stopped me 15 minutes into it. So there's 15 minutes where they didn't know what was going on. So I had to stand there for like 15 minutes where they set up the band. They wouldn't leave. I said, no, I'll stand here, man. I'm not going to go on there. They're putting up, 
oh, we got to stand here until the band starts playing. Okay. So I said, the band starts playing. They're like, well, goodbye. <laughs> they just, just left. Not like today. <laughs> right. Like, it would have been very. Not like <laughs> Portland. <laughs> I got to say. <laughs> gotta For say. sure. <laughs> so, but okay. And then, and then the, the Love and Spoonful, uh, you know, went on. They said, no, man, you should have went on. You should have kept going. Yeah, right, right. So they go on, they play, they do, oh, yeah, they're all, yeah, everything is rock and roll. Now it's sex, drugs, rock and roll, you know, because you know, what a great day. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Okay. So, um, I get, uh, so now the next gig, so now we're thinking, and there's a huddle after the show about what do we do with Hankin? I mean, now we got a liability on our hands. Now there's going to be cops at every show, and then they're going to pull them off. Oh, man. So we fly up to Northwestern University. I think it's in either Michigan or Wisconsin, Northwestern. And we get to the hotel. We fly in. We get a bus. We go to the hotel. We check in. And as we're walking to the elevators to go to our rooms, there's five of us. There's a... The four loving spoonful, two managers and me, we're all walking to the elevator, and three people get in our way. The three people are a priest, uh, a police sergeant or captain, and the dean of the college. Uh-oh, sounds yeah. like trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, those weren't fans. <laughs> they're, they're not fans. They're not Love and Spoonful fans. They're not my fans. <laughs> you can tell by what they're wearing. <laughs> so they go, uh, we want to, uh, is this the Love and Spoonful party? So the, the man in the suit, the dean. Yeah, is there Larry Hankin here? And then the two managers come forward and they put us behind, you know, they go, what, what, what's going on? Why, why, what, what, what do you want to know Larry Hankin for? Well, we have a report, the Dean says, and then the priests and the cops are just standing there like this because they got an agenda <laughs> and they're just standing there waiting for their turn. And uh, the Dean says, uh, we have a report that there's a filthy mouth comedian on your, uh, on stage with the traveling with the love and spoonful. So the two managers just turn their backs on these three guys, say to us, go up to the room, go into his, and they didn't say my name. They said, go into his room, stay there, lock the door and don't let anybody in except us. And then he turns back to them and we go into the elevator. So we think, wow, wow, what the hell's going on, man? Holy cow. Go up to the room, lock the door, and we're just sitting, you know, now we got to wait. About a half hour later, we get a knock on the door, you know. Who is it? You know, it's the managers. Okay, come in. What's going on? What's going on? Oh, and, and the Love and Spoonful, while we're there, the Love and Spoonful and me, we were talking about what we're going to do, how we're going to do this. So, well, you got to do your act, man. You got to do your act. And, and mm -hmm. well, no, man, you know, you know, we, we need, we need the time and stuff. And I mean, why, why just get pulled off the stage? Why don't you just clean it up? And I'm going, well, yeah, but if I clean it up, I mean, I, there's nothing to clean up. I, I'm just talking. <laughs> I, in other words, 
I, I say fucking shit in the middle of wherever I am. I mean, it's just, it's, I'm talking. I'm, there's nothing written down. It's, it's a set piece I have in my head, but it's quite loose. I, I don't know. It'd be kind of hard. And then, and then there's not enough time. You know, it'll cut my show down to about 15 minutes. It's, so finally I decided to do my act. Fuck it. You know. And then they said, yeah, go ahead. You do the act. So we opened up the show, you know, and then, you know, Larry Hank and I come out. I did my entire show, laughter, applause, nothing. Like, like Washington, D.C., Washington University never happened. It was like an ordinary show. So, you know, Whoa. sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Killed so, yeah, it. I mean, that's ridiculous, but that was what the 60s were, were like. I mean, you know, uh, that was the yin and the yang of it. And, and of course, nobody was actually busted because I didn't have any drugs because I, I wasn't doing drugs yet, you know? Um, so uh, show business is really weird. It's not, you know, just what you see on, on television or when you go to a nightclub. I've gone to a nightclub opening for the Kingston Trio, which is a nightclub. Now it's not an arena. So everybody's, you know, it's a Tony Bistro. You know, everybody's cool and up, uptown. And it was a very high class uh, nightclub. It was number one Fifth Avenue, it was called. Classy place, right? Number one <laughs> Fifth Avenue. So I, that was my first, uh, well, well, anyway. I get on and I'm opening for the Kingston Trio and I'm in the middle of my act. So in a nightclub, you know, the stage is only that high because, you know, it's a bandstand, it's a little thing. And then there's the dance floor. There's a big dance floor. And then the tables are behind there. So you can't see it's black. You can kind of see when you're standing on stage with a microphone, lights are in your eyes. It's black out there. You can't see anything beyond the dance floor, you know, and then it gets black. So I'm standing up there, I'm doing, and I, I knew before I went on that it was a very slow night. Oh, it was uh, Jack's on the, on the on, it was in the Boston. Uh, before I went on, it was a, there was a snowstorm outside. So there wasn't very many people there. So I wasn't very worried. It was the Kingston Trio. Okay, I get on my stage, I'm doing my stuff. And out of the darkness, I'm, I'm on the stage for about four minutes tops, maybe five. I, a guy comes out of the darkness. He was dressed in a suit, but he looked like a lumberjack. I mean, he was very tough. He was as tall as me or taller than me. So that's a, a, a sign that somebody has to leave. One, one of you two has to leave. Like in a dark alley. <laughs> exactly. One of you two gentlemen shouldn't be here. <laughs> so this guy comes at me in a suit like a lumberjack. And he's got an upside down beer bottle in his hand. And he says, oh. get the fuck off the stage. Holy shit. Whoa. I go, right. And I just get off the stage. I know what to do in various situations. The Universe of Every Religion and None. Written by Roderick Edwards. Narrated by John Ashton Nickerson. Roderick Edwards is the author of books as varied as a fictional account of a person living in a deserted world to an autobiography about his adoption and reunion to this book about the universe. Find out more at RoderickE.com. 
Hey y'all, it's Ivan from The Gefilte Show here, a motivational, inspirational podcast where we feature great guests such as Screaming Chewy. Be sure to check out more at gefilte.com. No questions asked. me to cross over. So I just got off the stage and I went to the bar and I just sat down. I mean, it's just that simple. Get off the fucking stage. Okay. Okay, man. Boom. Sat down. He just walks back to it and now there's nothing up there bartender comes over and he says what the fuck are you doing here and he goes, did you see that guy come at me with a beer bottle in his fist he goes yeah i said well i'm not getting back on the stage until you get rid of that guy man he's i mean i'm not fighting him well i'm, I'm a comedian i'm not a fighter i'm a comedian uh and nobody was laughing so what's the sense <laughs> so he says no the 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 uh, the Kingston trio doesn't come on for ten more minutes. You got ten more minutes to get out there. I said I'm not getting out there until you get that guy out of here or or, or or talk to him or something. Where's the bouncer? I'm the bouncer. He says. Oh get shit! Back out on the stage. Yeah, get back on the stage, or you're not getting paid. I said I'm not getting paid because I'm not getting out on the stage. Says you're fired. I said okay, and I just walked out of the club. Fuck you. Knocked <laughs> out of club. I get outside. It's a fucking blizzard out there, man. <laughs> so I got to like, you know, walk in. Can I use your phone? <laughs> you know, I got to call a cab. I'm going to the airport. <laughs> so, you know, all of a sudden, I'm just you know, some, some guy coming in out of the storm. I don't know anything about what's going on. Here. So, I mean, I, I, so I called my, my manager and I said, look, I can't do this. The cops are pulling me off the stage. A guy just came at me with a beer bottle. I mean, I'm a middle-class Jewish kid. I'm not, I don't, I, I, I'm in this for fun. I'm certainly not in this for money. I just like pe to make people laugh, you know? And, and they're not laughing and I'm not having any fun. So what's the point of all this? And I'm not making a lot of money. So what's the point of all this? So he said, now this is Woody Allen's manager. See, and I'm also in the back of my mind, Woody Allen is now on television. He's doing the Ed Sullivan show or something. I mean, so he's, he's moving up. Oh, damn. So I'm kind of bitching about that in the back of my mind. I'm saying, you know, I'm out here in the boonies and he's doing television. What's going on? he said, Larry, Woody has television material. You can't say fuck and penis on television back <laughs> then. He said, that's crazy. So you get television material and, and I'll put you on. But, that, that, you know, you want to do sex, drugs, and rock and roll? Fine. Then join Second City. They own the theater. They're doing the same thing as Richie and Lenny. But they own the theater. So I said, thank you. So I went to audition for Second City and I got in. And that started me in the acting thing. So then from there, a couple of us, after about six months, we went to San Francisco. Six of us broke off. A couple of us, uh, I had just joined. And then uh, the, the director and one other actor had been in the company. They split. And they brought a couple of other people with them who were in the, uh, the, the classes of Second City, that they were really good. And we all went out to San Francisco and started the committee, which was Second City, not light, Second City number two. And we were just as good as them. We were always compared in newspapers. Oh, hey, they got a Second City out in California. It's called the committee. They're really great. The great thing about that was that um, we were just a plane ride away, a half hour plane ride from L.A., from Hollywood. 
Nice. Now nobody, yeah. So nobody from Hollywood would fly to Chicago. It's just too long. It's too expensive. It's an over. It's an. It's just. It's ridiculous. But for a half-hour plane flight, they could fly up for thirty bucks round trip. Fly up to San Francisco, watch a show, stay overnight, tour San Francisco, and then go back home. You know, for it's a great weekend. You know, very cheap. Only the hotel, you know, 30 bucks for the plane flight. And they see, okay, so my point being that if we went down as actors to Hollywood and try to get managers or agents or auditions, who the fuck are you? You're from San Francisco. We got people from LA who can't get in here. Get out of here. But because we were a hit show in San Francisco, the heavy hitters, the people who you can't get in to see, the people with green light, you know, they were flying up and watching us. And we, we were getting seen by the biggest, the biggest people. Wow. Because, yeah. So all of us were being flown down and doing shows and flying back. And, you know, and because it was an improv show, you could leave. I mean, we all weren't going at once. It was like one guy would go one week, maybe one guy another week. Or, or a girl would go down. But because it was improv, I would just step into your role or you would step into mine. I mean, so you would improvise it a little different. Who cares? It's improv. And, and because you were good and knew my part anyway, you could do my part or you are the way you wanted to. So you loved it if I left. Hey, I'm going to do Hankins thing. Or I loved it if you left. Hey, I'm going to be in his scene. One more scene in the show for me. Switch cool. it up. Yeah, you know. So, so that's what was going on until finally everybody left. I mean, because they just stayed down there. They had managers, they had agents, they were doing sitcoms. And I just wanted to improvise. I, I, again, it was just, I'm, I like where I am until people say, get out of here, or I see, it's just, I'm okay, I'm okay. So finally they were making so much money, they just kept on calling me and saying, hey man, you gotta come down here. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're making $500 a week. We're making, you know, $5,000 a week. Fuck. I mean, come on. So, I mean, that, if you do a sitcom, that's what you, you would get or, or a thousand. But if you do two or three sitcoms, I mean, it was just, there was no comparison. It's stage work and movie work. And so I just finally gave, gave up the ghost. I, mean, I just, because I was going down for, you know, doing one week and coming back and, I finally said, okay. So I couch surfed for a while. And then finally I got an, an agent, uh, Laverne, uh, Laverne, you know, Laverne and Shirley Penny Marshall. She actually discovered me. Uh, she was the one who called the, the last time I went down and then stayed there or, or next to last. She called and she said, uh, her people, Laverne and Shirley, the producers called and said, call me at home. I don't know where they got that, my phone number. But they called me because I didn't have an agent at the time. I mean, I got rid of Jack and, and the, the, the Woody Allen stuff because I was in the committee. I was on the West Coast. So I said, Jack, you know, I'll get an agent here because you're a stand-up comedian. I'm going into acting now. So, so uh, I didn't have an agent or a manager. Uh, so I couch surfed for a while. And then, uh, uh, no, before I couch surfed, Penny Marshall phoned me, her people, and said, Larry Hankin, you're the guy on the committee. Yeah, right. Um, 
Penny Marshall saw you in the committee. She flew up and flew back, you know, saw me in the committee. And there's a part for she's got, uh, there was a Laverne a part where they went to a, their uh, prom. Laverne and Shirley went to a prom and uh, Penny Marshall needed somebody to dance. So she saw me in the committee and I was a tall, funny, physical actor. So she said, I, I want to dance with that guy, you know, get, get him down here. So because I did the Laverne and Shirley show, I got a manager. So I, in other words, I wasn't trying. And each time nice. something happened, I was kicked off, but then this happened. Or, you know, Woody Allen's manager came into the thing. Or, you know, so, and then finally, I guess a couple of years ago, finally, I mean, I started to have to think about what am I going to do next? Because, you know, just waiting around for something to happen is, is, is not cool after a while. After your hair turns white. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not too cool. Yo, I can't do that no more. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Just hang. Just hang. Hey, man, you know, yeah, the sun will shift. Sun turns up. <laughs> you know, so I started to think, okay, movies. Uh, writing movies. So, so that's really where I'm at now. So, and writing, I, I've been writing for years now since, since I couldn't write my stand-up stuff. I never, in my entire time of opening for Miles Davis, so Miles Davis wanted me to tour Europe with him. Damn. Uh, yeah, but I wanted to stay in America. I thought there'd be more money. Uh, there, there wasn't, but I, I did think that. But I mean, you know, after a while, you just start to think, writing so around the i i i didn't wasn't writing for my stand-up i never wrote anything for my stand-up ever i do minutes if anybody wants to do stand-up i'll give you a hint the first you got two minutes from the time you're introduced and get in front of the microphone you have two minutes to do anything you want you 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 can pull your pants down you can cross your eyes you can make funny faces you can turn your back on the audience you can play the kazoo for two minutes the audience will listen or put up with it they won't do anything they'll just sit there what's going on what 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 i thought they said he was a comedian but after two minutes they get very angry oh so yeah they go well hey hey boo hey come on you know they start to but i would use that two minutes because I mean, after a while, I, I would get this, and I thought, "Well, why? what? What happened? What just? They were quiet. I was doing nothing. I wasn't. I was talking. I wasn't being funny. That that's what I was doing. I was not being funny. And they listened for two minutes, and then, hey man, on the open mic night. So I would use the two minutes to try new material. I would just get up there and talk about anything I wanted for two minutes. Smart. At about a minute 45 seconds, I would go into my, or maybe if I went to two minutes and 15 seconds. I mean, this was like, I swear to God, I'm by the clock. This is really what happened. You got it down two, to the science. Yeah, yeah. And well, that, that's part of my, I'm, I'm very, you know, minutia oriented. About two minutes and 15 seconds when I see, you know, the, I say, okay, okay, okay. You know, I just go like that. Okay, all right, hold. I would just stop doing whatever I was doing. Okay, okay. I'll go into my act now. <laughs> oh, okay. And then, then I would go into my act, you know, and talk about what I talked about yesterday for two minutes and, and found the laughs. So then I would start with that, you know, the 
new stuff that's kind of funny. I know. And you just move the stuff up. You just move this two minutes. That didn't work. The next night's two minutes. Try a different formula. And you just, but you just be this moving thing, you know, and then, so you would get these hunks and then you and finally when you had a show which was 20 minutes then you would stop doing that for a while you know you just come on with your 20 minutes and open for woody allen you know no, no more experimenting this is the this is the big time <laughs> you know you just start and you got 20 minutes so use it so i did it but uh then i was kind of stuck because i got out of the habit of the two minute thing you know when i went back to the two minutes i, I was still kind of a little kind of rocky you know but you know there's a there's a those kind of things but anyway i was in show business and doing sitcoms and that's what i'm known for now but i'm i'm, I'm gonna go back to it i really yeah. am i'm gonna go back to it because you're just standing there and you just you know it becomes conversational it becomes like you're hanging with your friends when you're really good I watch HBO, this all the stand-ups. When they're really good, man, they're just talking. They're they're flashing images, they're just you know, throwing it out there. And they got it all down and they know how funny they are. So it becomes conversational with the um with the audience, you know, and you're just winging it. It's and it's live and it's just you and them. There's no no cameras and no people, you know. Except for the, you know, loving spoonful, you know, no, stay out there. You know, we want to riot. No, yeah, just. I didn't know you were quite a riot maker, man. <laughs> well, I didn't either, man. That was not my point. But I, I certainly got a lot of people angry. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't understand why, because, hey, man, I'm being funny. This is funny. Don't you find this funny? And, you know, I was uh, talking. Well, I mean, it was I only did it once. With with the Washington University audience, where where I was out there for so long under these barrage of things, that I was talking to them while I was, you know, don't you? I I mean, this is funny, man. This is sex, drugs, rock and roll. What's the matter with you people? Dod <laughs> Dodging things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I really was. Hey, come on. So, <clears throat> the only the only thing I'll give them these rowdy students, these youngsters, um, was I really don't think they were trying to hit me. Because I, I think if they wanted to, they could have. They were going all around me. And I was ducking and dodging. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, I wasn't doing it like, like that. You know, like, oh, the hey, man, that nearly hit me. No, 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 no I was just, just moving. I kept a, a moving target, kind of. So I don't think they were trying to hit me, which I, I guess I'll give them that. But if they weren't, screw you guys. <laughs> but that was like, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Man. They're probably all down with COVID by now. <laughs> right? <laughs> Very true. <laughs> I mean, if you're doing that then, you're probably doing this now. So, you know? I know you people. I know, I know you people. You, you know it. You got it down. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've seen you before, man. I've seen you. I've been through this. Been there, done this. Yeah. 
Wow, man, that's that's fucking awesome, and um, you're very talented, and like I said, man, I love your work, and um, you got anything else in the works? Anything you can talk? Oh, about? Oh well, yeah, I'm writing a screenplay for myself. I don't know if it'll ever be made, but I'm writing a screenplay. Um, right now, I guess the working title is "A Night in the Country." One night in the country. It's a thriller. I mean, it's a funny thriller. It's a, it's funny. Oh, I love those. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's it's kind of scary, you know. It's got tension and i don't want to say anything too much about it because mm -hmm. there's a a hidden there's a there's a twist to it oh i love it uh so the, all of a sudden you go oh wow man really <laughs> and, <laughs> when i read it i like it i don't like it and that's what you're writing right now <clears throat> well just i'm i'm uh yeah and, and uh, yeah I'm, I'm writing it right now i think it'll be finished wednesday i'm just uh, correcting i'm just tweaking it and spelling errors and stuff like that right now uh <clears throat> but i mean then I, i'm gonna have to go out and sell it so i mean it's not like a, a done deal but i uh, saw so that and then the the real but the basic new stuff is going to be through um the real larry .com. if you go to my website uh there's all my artwork i make you know, all this, you know, $5,000 a week or $5,000 a show or all this money that I'm making, there's tons of money that I'm making, when made. I haven't worked. I've been, I, 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 re, I didn't retire. I dropped out. I just couldn't take it anymore. I mean, I just, uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to start saying my own words. Nice. That's really what it is. I, I began writing and I'm writing the screenplay. I wrote a, re, a screenplay last year. So I was writing it and I thought, you know, it's really weird. I have I have a learning disability. I really do. It's called dyslexia and ADHD. I have both ADHD and dyslexia. Uh, the internet killed my psyching out of dyslexia for pre-digital era. In other words, I could grow up in school and go to high school and college and be in show business and still have ADHD and dyslexia and still get by with wow. very good marks. Because I, I figured either I had to study harder than everybody else, which I did because I couldn't, because I'm a slow learner. But I, when, I, when I got it, it was locked. But I had to study, or I would fail tests. I mean, it was that simple. So I got high marks or low marks. Uh, and then, um, I don't know. Uh, well, anyway, I keep on going off on these tangents, man. <laughs> oh, it's all good, talker. man. I love uh, it. But uh, when I started to write, I found, and this is really weird, I can't explain it. I can memorize my own lines, but I can't memorize yours. Wow. If you write it for me. If you write it for me. I mean, I can. You know, it'll pick, I mean, five lines or something like that. No, I mean, I can do the, no, I'm talking about speeches. That's what I'm talking I mean, I can re memorize regular sitcom stuff because it's just, you speak, I say a line, you say a line, I say two lines, you say a line. No, but in movies, you get hunks, man, and you have to go, bam, 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 bam. No, that takes me a long time. I did Escape from Alcatraz. You know, I do movies. But if there's a long speech, uh it's just not worth my time now i'd rather spend the two weeks learning two days worth of shooting for a movie or maybe 
one week of learning the lines for two days of shooting. I'd rather use that time to write my own stuff, to, to, to just work on me, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm past the sitcom, uh, what do you call it? Um, co a comic character actor. Oh, okay. I'm, no, I'm, I... I'm moving out of, I'm, I, was, I was, and you know me as, and everybody knows me as, a character actor, a comic character actor, or a character mm -hmm. actor. And I'm, I'm trying to move out of that and as the character actors, character roles got bigger, my ability to memorize the lines started to get longer and longer and longer until finally I said, wait a minute, I'm spending way more time memorizing this than I am doing it when I could be writing my own lines from my own film shorts. And that, that I can memorize easier for some reason, I guess because it comes from the inside out, I don't know why. So uh, on, on uh, my website, therealarryhankin.com, I got about 30 uh, film shots that I've made. Oh, nice. So there's some are two minutes, some are three minutes, some are 20 minutes, some are 10 minutes, some are just screeds to the audience. I mean, just you know, me talking just like this to the audience and not a character, just me talking to you. Uh, just all kinds. And on um, Vimeo, if you go on Vimeo, um, there's about 50 of my only mine. And then if you go on YouTube, they're just all over the place. If you go on YouTube, there's like Larry, if you, if you Google Larry Hankin, no, not Google. If you type in on YouTube, Larry Hankin, I don't, there's all, I don't know. There's, there's everything I've ever done is, is on there. And so either, either sometimes Jones, Emmett Demus, E-M-M-E-T-T-D-E-E-M-U-S, Emmett Demus, sometimes Jones, or Larry Hankin. They're all over the place. And then I'll put my writing up there, and there's my biography. and there's, So all the new stuff that I'm going to do on Facebook. So there you go. You know, awesome. You know, that's, that, I, you've, I've told you everything. Hey. There's nothing more that I could bear my soul. <laughs> to the public than what I just told Chewy. So if you didn't hear it from me and Chewy, you don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> via Larry Hagen, this is a V Larry Hagen. Okay. No, there's um, one of the things I'm gonna put up there and one of the things, uh, you know all these show business stories that I just t told you about that? Mm -hmm. Well, I got a ton of them. I mean, I got eight hours, minimum eight hours that I've already wow. recorded. Nice. I've been doing these podcasts now for about six months. But they all t ask me about, you know, how'd you get in show business or what about this? Or they, they have my IMDB, you know, that thing on, on I don't know, imdb.com. They have all your credits and everything like that. So these interviews, what they do is I, I don't see it because a lot of them are on the phone. Mm -hmm. They have their laptop set up and they have my, my IMD page. So there's about 184 credits there Damn. movies sit, sitcoms whatever that's my, my movies some of my movies are up there. so they have it on their laptop and they're talking to me on the phone and they're just looking it up hey what about uh, this you know uh something I, I there's a lot of obscure things i don't even remember but when <laughs> they mention my name they mention the name of the show i can tell them something about it you know so they just look at it and they tell us about this show or, or tell us about this show you know they have this show. so 
I, I, one of the, one of the bloggers, one of the uh, podcasters has a setup recording studio. So I said, you know, I'm talking to all these people about my, my history and show business. What if I just told you all of it? So for about six months, I would call him once a week or maybe three months. I don't know, but I would call him once a week on a certain day. And for, uh, about an hour and a half, I would tell him every story that I could think of, uh, you know, off of the IMDB list, off of my history, off of my memory, off of whatever. And he recorded them all for, for two or three months. Damn. So we have this, uh, yeah, so we have this bank of minimum of eight hours. I think there's 40 stories. Holy shit. About 10, from 10 to 15 minutes each. I mean, some of them are five minutes, but most of them are pretty long. And we're going to make an album and we're going to make a podcast of just those, you know, just with an introduction is just the history of Larry Hankin in Hollywood. Oh, know. fuck yeah, and man. It's just the stories that I've been telling you and a lot, a lot more, you know. So that'll be a podcast. So that's, that's the future, but that'll be also on my, my web, uh, website, therealllarryhankin.com. Yeah, it's uh, really amazing. The looking last thing I got to say is, excuse, say, say it again. Oh, I just said looking forward to that as well. Oh, yeah, me, me too. It sounds, I mean, we've got it down. We've got the eight hours down already. Now I got to go through it. <clears throat> That's my next project is going through it, you know, putting the order together, the shows and stuff like that so we'll announce that the, the only thing i one more the only thing i got to add and i mentioned this before but it really bugs the hell out of me and it's become very <clears throat> right in front of me every day i've managed to get through my life with adhd and uh, dyslexia and i've managed to you know kind of zigzag my way through memorization and saying the wrong thing to the wrong people at the wrong time and I've had guns put to my head and I to my throat. Oh yeah. It, it, my life has been pretty heavy because of dyslexia and OCD. I get a lot of things wrong. I mistake what you said for what I, what I think you said. And so I've said a lot of wrong things at the wrong time to the wrong people. And they didn't know it. You know, I was just having a conversation and guns have been pulled on me and said, you're a fucking cop. That's what you are. <laughs> Fuck. Whoa, man. No, no, no. You got the wrong idea, man. You know, and then friends had to explain. No, he's not a cop, man. He's not a cop. Uh, okay. There's one fa You got time for one. There's one fast little. Oh yeah, for sure. Since I mentioned it. Mm -hmm. Here's where that, but it happened a lot. And it's happened three times. A friend of mine who was a really uptown guy in San Francisco very well, but he he knew a lot of underworld people. Um, he knew he knows all kinds of people, high people, low people, show business people. He knew me, and he likes to take us. He liked to take me. He liked me as a friend. He's about I was about twenty five, and he was about forty, and he would like to take me to dinners and stuff like that, and introduce me around, you know. And that 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 was it. That was that was all. I got to see San Francisco and famous people through him. Uh, he had a wife, you know, but she didn't like to go out with him. So he didn't like to go to places alone. He said, Hey, Larry, you know, so one day he takes me to this, um, 
He says, hey, Larry, I'm going over to a friend's house. They're having a party. I think it's his birthday. I think it'd be interested to meet the people there. So you want, want to come? And, and he's an interesting guy, too. Um, okay. So I said, okay. So I go, it's a house, just an apartment, a, a cheap apartment. You know, I mean, nothing expensive. An ordinary apartment. Walk in, and the guy's uh, at the door, and he's looking a little, a little um, he's looking uh, tough. That, that's all I can say. But it, it was his birthday, it was his house, had a beard. I think he might have been, uh, I don't know, he was a white guy, I guess. I don't know. I look around in the party, and there's a lot of mixture of people like me, like street people. And uh, the, my, my friend, this elite guy, uh, Gino was his name. Gino says, uh, Gino, uh, you know, Gary, this is uh, Larry, he's a good friend of mine. Gino, I'm, uh, you know, uh, uh, this guy, you know each other, you, you, you two should get along. And I said, oh, hi, and I shook his hand, and he pulls his hand away, and he pulls out a 45 automatic, silver, Army 45 oh. Colt, and he holds it to my head, boom, like this hold it to my head, and he says to Gino, you fuck, you brought a cop. Why did you do that, man? Why did you do that? And, and he's really serious, man. And I'm saying, I'm not a cop, man. What, what's going on? I, what have I been brought into? <laughs> and Gino was saying, no, no, he's not a cop. He's my friend. This guy's a good guy, man. No, what are you talking about? And... Um, now, later it turned out, I got out of this alive, as you can see. Uh, but um, later I found out he's a drug dealer, a major drug dealer. So that's what was going on. And I had no idea about this. So he's saying, this guy's a cop, man. Why did you bring this cop here? And then, which is the worst, this is the worst words I've ever heard in my presence is, um, he's holding a gun to my head, to my head, and he's saying, "Why did you do this, man? Why did you do this?" And all I could read from what was going through his mind is, "I'm going to have to kill this guy. Why did you do that? Why did you make me kill somebody?" That's what he was saying. Oh my God! And Gino is pleading. He's saying. No, no, man. He's an okay guy. He's an okay guy. Have you ever seen the committee? You know, he was just grabbing for shit. Now, the committee was a, a theater that was actually two blocks away from this guy's apartment. Right at the moment. So he said, have you ever been to the committee? Have you ever been to the committee? And he goes, yeah, yeah. What about it? He said, well, he's in the committee. And the guy says, fuck, man. This guy's in the committee. He said, hey, this is a funny guy, man. Hey, this is a fun, wow, I'm sorry, man, I'm so sorry. Hey, oh, Jesus, come on in, man, come on in, you know. <laughs> like, sorry, I was about to kill you, you're a good guy, you're a funny guy. <laughs> that really happened, oh, exactly my. the way that I told you. He, he reckoned, thank God he had been to the committee. Thank <laughs> God. Two blocks away. Yeah, I mean, but that's because, I mean, that wasn't so much the dyslexic. The, the thing, I, but, it, but it was, because between the ADHD and the dyslexia, I couldn't figure out what to say or what to do. 
No, there's no, I'm an actor. I say, I say that all the time now to people. Where have I seen you? Where have I seen, have you ever been to the committee? Have you ever seen Breaking Bad? Oh, right, yeah, that's who you are. And I think it comes from that particular moment where I should have said, have you ever seen the committee? Have you ever watched television? You know, that's where you've seen me. Because a lot of people recognize me, but they don't recognize where they know me from. You know, oh. I mean, in the beginning. Now, I think I've, I've, I've been on so long that mm -hmm. they finally know, okay, he's a television actor. Because now they come up and they say, How, you know, where do I know you from? They say, you're an actor, right? I go, yeah. See, that's but back then, no. no more anyway, here. that's, I mean, but I got a lot of those stories. I, I, and they're all true, man. <laughs> I don't lie. I don't lie. Man, I had no idea you lived such a crazy life, man. Wow. Nobody loved The only person who knows it is me. I've lived <laughs> such a weird life. And it's because of the ADHD and the dyslexia. Because I, a lot of times, and, well, to finish the thought of why I got to that story was, so I managed to weave my way through life with ADHD and dyslexia, which gets me into all kinds of trouble, like I just said, but I managed to do it and still stay alive and be okay. And maybe once or twice or three times it happened that bad. But when digital came in and the internet came in, ADHD and dyslexia are bamboozled by it. There's too much information. What it is, I've, doctors and me have figured it out, is it, my mind is going so fast that if you give me just that much, too much information, it gets scrambled. There's too much information coming in. I can't slow my mind down enough. Except marijuana. Nice. Cools me down. Cools me down so I can understand. So if I have to learn something, like, you know, how to take apart my computer or, or play pool. I remember as, as a, a up-and-coming pool hustler, wannabe, <laughs> if I had a beer and a half, before I played anybody, I could probably beat you. Nice. The, the beer would just kind of mellow me out. If I had two beers and I, I was drunk, <laughs> and then, then I couldn't win. So, I mean, it was a, that's how close it is, man. And the same thing with marijuana. If I too much and then I'm gone, you know, I was just a <laughs> high hippie, you know. <laughs> you know so, but in other words, and then a doctor told me, he said, there's a chemical. In, uh, in your system that is missing. Oh, and it man. happens to be in marijuana. That's crazy. Focus. It's a focus thing. It's focus. That the, that the ADHD and the dyslexia are, that's what they attack or that's what they fuck with in, in your brain is, is a focus. I can read for a little while, but then after about 20 pages, I just know too much. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've absorbed too much of the story. And, and, um, like for like for instance, it's really weird when I used to watch tele, uh, watch movies with Carl, and I never figured this out until many years later. We would go to movies together in Greenwich Village, you know, because we had nothing to do except review movies or you know sweep up the bar. Uh, we would go to movies in the daytime, and I would we would sit together and I would just watch the movie, and I would always wonder why. I would be sitting and I say, 
okay, now who is this guy? <laughs> what, or, you know, or the other one was this, okay, now what is this? Well, wh why is he doing this? I don't, <laughs> it was because I could pick up the scene, but I couldn't keep track of the arc of them, of the story. And he, and I, and it was, I always wondered how he had such patience to watch movies with me because I was always asking him about three or four times in a movie, no matter what movie, I said, okay, now who's this guy again? What? And he would say, no, that's the guy who arrested him, you know, and the other thing, and, and he has the gun now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right, 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 yeah. <laughs> Catch you <laughs> okay. up on the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it was because of the ADC, but I didn't know that, see? But now with the internet, there's no Carl to ask now, what is, which hitch, where am I going? What? The internet has too much choices for me and it just overcomes me. It's just really weird. Okay, well, that's it, folks. I'm glad you got it down, man, and overcame that. And um... Well, yeah, you know, you figure it out. You just figure it out. You know. I mean, it still bothers me, but it figures, you figure it out. You're an interesting guy, Larry. And um, so all your <laughs> oh, thanks, man. <laughs> and uh, all your stuff, it's uh, the the real Larry .com. Right. Thank you, Chewy. Take it easy. I got to go back. I got to go back to writing now. Okay. Thank you very much for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Chewy. Talk you have a good one. Get, hey, man. Anytime you 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 need somebody to talk to. You know? Oh, oh, for sure, man. I love I'm your stories. Road. Okay, when I got new stuffers, you know, when I, when stuff comes out. For sure, man. You know, just hit me up and... Okay, cool. You got it. All right, later. Take it easy, man. Bye. everyone thanks for tuning in and if you'd like to support this podcast you can find me at anchor.fm slash screaming chewy gmail com there'll be three options for a monthly subscription first one i believe starts at a dollar a month yo yeah dollar a month yeah and if you don't want to that's cool you can follow me on facebook and youtube screaming chewy show for some memes some more videos for episodes and behind the scenes kind of deal, right? You can follow me on Twitter, uh, Screaming Chewy. Yeah, not Screaming Chewy show. I should probably change it. But it's just Screaming Chewy. And uh, thanks for listening. Peace.